Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Be sure to check out the Writers Guild Foundation Inside the Writers Room event on Thursday, May 28th, featuring Matthew Weiner and the staff of Mad Men, where we'll discuss how they crafted one of America's iconic period dramas. Tickets for the Mad Men event and many other great Writers Guild events are, on, are for sale on their website, wgfoundation.org, and they're open to the public, not just WGA members. Uh, and for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, I'm thrilled to have on a Northwestern alum who created such shows as Runaway for the CW and NBC's The Playboy Club. He's also written a number of TV movies, including I Want to Marry Ryan Banks, starring Bradley Cooper. His latest project is the event series Wayward Pines, starring Matt Dillon, Carla Gugino, Juliette Lewis, Melissa Leo, and Terrence Howard, airing Thursdays, 9, 8 central on Fox. Welcome to the show, Chad Hodge. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We always like to find out more about our guest. I know you're originally from Highland Park, Illinois, which is just north of Chicago, and you're a Northwestern alum. And at the age of 23, which is super impressive, you created your first series, All About Us, for NBC. I nice. guess my first questions are, what inspired you to work in film and TV initially, specifically as a writer, and how did you get your first job in the industry? Okay, great, uh, great questions. Well, when I was at Northwestern, I was a communication studies and business major uh, and actually wasn't, you know, wasn't, hadn't really discovered or found writing yet. And uh, although I always was an avid reader and an avid consumer of movies and television and all of that, I was uh, thinking I was actually going to go more into the world of marketing and advertising and that sort of thing. Um, and I started working with some friends on uh, a TV show that they were producing at, at Northwestern called University Place. And it was kind of a Melrose Place soap opera type thing. And they wanted my help with uh, the marketing and, and, and some of the producing aspects and things like that. And so I started in that capacity and uh, very quickly found myself basically running the show in terms of, not, yeah. not in terms of writing, but in terms of uh, the, all the producing, uh, everything from location scouting to making sure we had enough cameras to casting to, uh, and then uh, of course the marketing and advertising stuff. Uh, and it became sort of a big thing on campus. We made five episodes. Um, I also did all the fundraising and, and sort of found myself really enjoying uh, what I didn't re- realize at the time was 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 being a showrunner, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, but I, I still had nothing to do with the writing. But I envied the writers and and thought, well, they have the coolest job here. And uh, and and uh, I thought that I wanted to go into you know I knew I wanted to go to the entertainment industry at some point, sort of after that. I didn't know in what capacity exactly, but I came out to Los Angeles to do a couple of internships between my junior and senior year of college at Northwestern. And I interned three days a week for a producer and two days a week for a casting director and basically spent the summer reading scripts, uh, lots and lots of scripts doing coverage. And um, I was surprised at how many of them I did not like <laughs> and, uh, and how many people were employed as writers. And, uh, and still, I wasn't really thinking this was something I could or would do. And, and, but I kept coming up with ideas for movies that summer and I would pitch them to the producer I was interning for. And one day he said, you know, do you have a lot of fun ideas? You know, why don't you try writing one of them? And I said, well, I'm not really a writer. And he said, well, you should, you should try it. You know, why not? So I did. And um, when I went back to, to Northwestern for my senior year, I took uh, all the screenwriting classes I could, which was two, since I only had <laughs> one year left. And uh, actually, there's an amazing creative writing for the media program at Northwestern that I, that I missed out on, because it's a three-year program. But I took these two classes and absolutely fell in love with writing and, and, and the craft and the process. And uh, my professors were incredibly helpful and inspiring. And 
I wrote uh, two screenplays that year and fell in love with it so much that I knew it's what I had to do. Uh, And so then when I graduated Northwestern and came out to Los Angeles, uh, it was with the, you know, uh, idea to become a writer. And uh, how did you get your first job in the industry? Um, My first job, well, because of University Place, there had been been some press, and I think some people in the industry kind of knew about it, but I was working as an assistant at William Morris Mm -hmm. uh, for for a very short time because I realized I didn't want to be, you know, I I knew I didn't want to be an agent, but when I was working there, I realized I didn't have the time to to write at all because, you know, being an assistant at an agency is a a very time-consuming job. So I quit, and I was waiting tables at a restaurant called Authentic Cafe on Beverly Boulevard, which is now Taroni um, Mm -hmm. on Beverly. But I was waiting tables there, and someone at NBC read a script that I had written, um, one one of the two scripts I had written in my senior year at Northwestern. They read that feature script, uh, and and the guy at NBC who read it was was a a Northwestern alum who didn't know me really at all. We had a very – we had had a brief meeting maybe – a month or two before that, and uh, he read my script and passed it to his boss, and they really liked it, and they said, hey, you know, we've got this pilot we're doing for NBC for Saturday morning. It was, it was someone at Peter Engel's company, and they did Saved by the Bell and Hang Time and all those shows, and this was uh, sort of the end of that era, but it was, it was I actually have the distinction of creating the very last show <laughs> of, that, of that era of shows, but... But I basically, they basically said they had this script and, and they wanted someone to rewrite it. And so I came in and I redid this show. I, I took this script and I sort of re, re, rewrote it and, and sort of recreated the show. And then we shot the pilot and it got on the air. And I, I was obviously very young. I was 23. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to really run a TV show. Uh, and so I became the staff writer even though I had written the pilot, uh, you know, they hired a showrunner and several other writers. And I was one of those several other writers. I was the youngest and low, you know, lowest level writer on the staff, but that's where I learned to cut my teeth. Um, you know, that's where I cut my teeth, you know, learning how to write television story, because even though that type of story uh, isn't the thing that I write now, it's still, you know, television structure and storytelling are, are those skills. I really sort of honed those there. Right. No, that's great. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, I mean, you know, look, at the time, I absolutely had no idea how lucky that was. I mean, I sort of, <laughs> I sort of knew, but I, I thought like, oh, great, yeah, this is how it happens. Like, you just move to L.A. and, you know, someone reads your script and then they let you, you know, write a pilot and then it gets made and then it's on the air. And like, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I was very grateful at the time, but, but now looking back, I'm, I'm more grateful than ever because that was obviously a very lucky break. Right, absolutely. I mean, you've got to have the goods, yeah. obviously, and you have to be prepared with material yeah. and, and to take advantage of those opportunities because you never know when they're going to come and it's different for everybody. Right. But, yeah. uh, yeah. And, you know, it was, it was funny. There's a f- funny story sidebar to that, which is that w- because I was a waiter at Authentic Cafe at that restaurant, they said, you know, um, it, and the, the, when NBC wanted me to come in to meet about doing this project was, on, was like 5 o'clock on a Tuesday when I had a shift at mm-hmm. the restaurant, and I couldn't find anybody to cover my shift. And so basically my manager at the restaurant said, well, if you don't, if you don't come in, I'm going to have to fire you, which if, any, if anybody listening has ever been a waiter, you know that's just how it goes. It's nothing personal. It's like you just have to find someone to cover your shift or you have to show up or you get fired. Right. So I couldn't find anyone to cover my shift, and I had to make a decision. Like, okay, am I going to go to this meeting at NBC or am I going to keep my job at the restaurant? Right. And I chose the meeting at NBC. 
Yeah, I, I think you made the right decision. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it, it turned out that I did, but you know, I didn't know at the time. Right, hindsight. So now we we have to get into Wayward Pines. Um, the second episode airs tonight. Uh, although this yep. podcast is going to be posted between your second and third episodes. So I've only seen the pilot so far, but it was absolutely terrific. Um, Thank you. The, the, the show is, is filled with suspense. It's incredibly atmospheric. Uh, you know, it's got good pacing. And, and, of course, what an amazing cast. You know, Matt Dillon, Carla Cugino, Juliette Lewis, Terrence Howard. Toby Jones as Dr. Jenkins is fantastic. Melissa Leo as Nurse Pam is going to give people nightmares. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it's such a great show. Uh, but maybe you can tell the Thank audience, you. those who haven't seen it yet, what Wayward Pines is about. Okay. Wayward Pines is, is based on a, a series of novels by Blake Crouch. And uh, well, the story starts with uh, a Secret Service agent named Ethan Burke, who is on his way to Wayward Pines, this town in Idaho, where two other Secret Service agents have gone missing. And within 24 hours of being there, he gets into a massive car accident, wakes up in a hospital. Uh, Melissa Leo plays a nurse standing above him who won't let him out of the hospital, but he can't get in touch with anyone in the outside world. He can't get in touch with his boss. He can't get in touch with his wife. No one seems to be helping him at all. He doesn't have his wallet. He doesn't have his cell phone. He doesn't have his briefcase. He, 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 he's completely uh, helpless. And he ends up finding the two secret service agents he came looking for. One of them is dead, chained up to a bed, and the other one is played by Carla Gugino. Her name is Kate Hewson, and it's Ethan's, Ethan's former partner. And he finds her here. Uh, he saw her five weeks ago. The, the last time he saw her was five weeks ago in Seattle, but she claims to have been living in this town where pines for 12 years, and she does look 12 years older. Mm-hmm. And it's, she's working in a toy store, and she's married to a man named Harold and lives in a white picket fence, uh, in a house with a white picket fence, and it is, it's just one big mindfuck. And he <laughs> cannot get out of this town physically, literally cannot get out. If people missed the first episode or two of Wayward Pines, don't fret. You, if you didn't DVR it, you, you should definitely check it out on Hulu. Yeah. It's on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video. It's on Fox On Demand or whatever, fox.com. Fox so, yeah. Yeah, so you can definitely go check it out, and, and you should. Um, Absolutely. You had mentioned Blake Crouch's novel Pines, which it's set in. How far into Pines the novel does Wayward Pines go did you draw from all three books for the in the trilogy for the show or just the, from the first book yeah i drew from all three books okay. uh, for 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 the 10 episodes so all uh, the the story territory of the fir- of all three books is covered in in all 10 episodes now oh, cool. uh, there are certain things that i've changed from the books you know things that are in the books that aren't in the show or things that are in the show that aren't in the books um, in certain places i had to fill it out a bit more in certain places i had to pull it back um, but 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 yes it covers all three books what sort of challenges do you face writing and developing Wayward Pines? In other words, it's obviously sort of adapted from source material, but obviously television is a completely different medium. Well, for me, it was very clear when I read the first book what I thought the first episode should be. You know, when, when I, I got the first book in May of 2012, a few months before it was um, published uh, from a producer named Donald DeLine, and he and I had been looking for a way to do a TV project together for a while. And when I read the book, I sort of immediately saw exactly what I wanted to do with the first episode. You know, I, 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 flipped, I read that book in a day and a half, and I completely was uh, blown away by, by really what, what Blake had, had created and, and what the truth of this town was. Uh, the truth of Wayward Pines comes out at the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. And I sort of immediately knew what I wanted to do with the, with the first episode. There was, it, basically, I wanted to stay pretty true to the book. Uh, there was 
two things that I wanted to change, um, mostly to do with some timelines and his family story. And, uh, but I knew exactly, you know, there was a point when I was reading the book where I said, uh, well, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen the first episode, but when I, there's, there's a point in the book when I underlined it and I said, this is the end of the first episode. And to this, I mean, that's the end of the first episode still like that never changed. And then while I was writing, well, you know, after I had sold the, sold the project, mm-hmm. uh, then B- Blake Crouch was writing books two and books three. In fact, it was only supposed to be two books total, but then book two started getting so long that he divided it up and made it into two books. So, uh, but while he was writing book two, I was writing what's called a Bible. Um, I'm sure most of your listeners know what that is, but it's essentially an outline of what happens in the rest of the show after the first episode. Mm-hmm. And to, for, you know, for the characters, for the story, for, for, for everything. And uh, while I was writing that, Blake was writing book two, and we were sort of passing things back and forth. He would sort of show me drafts of the book, and I would show him drafts of what I was thinking for the Bible. And then uh, actually he used a few things that I had come up with for the show in his, in his books. Uh, but of course, mostly what the show is is based on his books. So, um, so it's uh, it was, you know, it, it's challenging, and also the collaboration that I was able to have with Blake, which was unexpected, was just phenomenal. Um, I, you know, usually you, you think of authors and then the the TV or screenwriters who are adapting their material as, you know. I don't want to say enemies, but, you know, people who probably don't talk that often, Um, (laughs) you know, authors sort of bristling at what's being changed from their books and, you know, and, and us adapters, like, you know, thinking, oh, they're going to be too precious about stuff and it's going to get complicated. But Blake was an incredible partner and understood uh, the difference between, you know, his books and, and what a TV show needs to be. And so the process was, was, was really, really fantastic and, and collaborative and productive. And uh, so, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's things that, that, that I couldn't use in the show just because of time. There's things that I thought were, you know, better, would be better served if they were changed a bit for the, for the show. But, but overall, um, I think it hews pretty closely to the books and to the spirit of what Blake uh, created. Right. No, that's great. Um, it's yeah. great to hear that. I, it, was, one, it was a, an incredible experience, and Blake and I are working on some other things together yeah, because of that experience. Right, his series, uh, his book, Abandoned for Amber, yeah. correct? Yeah, no, that's exactly. great. Which also sounds fantastic, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I read about Thanks. it, yeah. I wanted to touch on Wayward Pines in, in the sense that it's been compared frequently and favorably to David Lynch's iconic Twin Peaks. And I can see right. why. I mean, obviously, they're both compelling mysteries set in these isolated wooden towns. But how do you feel about the comparisons I love Twin Peaks, by the way. I think it was a fantastic show. In what ways do you feel they're similar? And conversely, what ways do you think the shows are different? Again, I only have the pilot to go on Wayward Pine, so I can't really tell. But what ways do you feel that the shows are similar? And what ways do you feel that they're different? Well, you know, I absolutely understand and welcome the comparison. I love Twin Peaks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm flattered at at, at any any comparison um, to to that show, to that iconic masterpiece. Um, But... Uh, yeah, and truthfully, uh, if, if you look at the first book that Blake Crouch wrote in the afterword, the, uh, the first book is called Pines. He, he, he gives a, a major shout out to, to, to Twin Peaks and to what uh, Mark Frost and, and uh, David Lynch created and, and that it was such a, an inspiration for him as a kid. He loved the show. And I think when he was 13 or 14, he, um, when the show was canceled, he was so upset that he wrote his own third season of the show just for himself. <laughs> 
as a kid. <laughs> um, and so and that sort of stayed with him. And, uh, and so Wayward Pines is definitely influenced by Twin Peaks for, for Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- therefore, obviously, it, it, it has found its way into the show. And, and you know, visually with the, with the pine trees and the Pacific Northwest setting and some of the humor and some of the tone, I can see the comparison. But you'll, you'll see that very quickly our story takes a major turn and is completely different from Twin Peaks. Cool. That's good yeah. to know. And speaking about twists and turns, you would mention that at the end of the first book, the truth about what Wayward Pines really is comes out, and yet you used material from all three books. Mm-hmm. So is this something that we're going to learn early on in the series? Is this something that... Uh, basically what I'm asking is, you're not going to leave a lot of this to the absolute end and have one of those endings You're right. to where there's a lot of questions at the end of the, cause it's a 10 episode event series, correct? You're right. Yes, exactly. And that was one of the major things that I, uh, sort of landed on early on in the process of writing that Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, also, this also speaks to your earlier question about adapting, you know, source material. Right. Yes. The, the end, the, the truth of what the town is comes out of the end of book one. Um, if I had adapted the books strictly, that probably would find its way, if, you know, rear its head at the end of episode three. And I knew I wanted it to take a little bit longer than that. Sure. And also so that I could get a little bit deeper into the characters and into this, you know, this family and this world before revealing the truth. But I thought, you know, traditionally, people would expect that the truth doesn't come out until the end of the season or the mm. end of the show. Right. And this story just uh, isn't built that way. And it's a new way of storytelling, I think. You know, we've seen a lot of amazing shows that, that hold the truth until the end, and that's their design, you know, shows like Lost, The X-Files. Um, and, and, and with this show, though, I thought, what comes after the truth in books two and three is so interesting, so compelling, so human and universal that I want to be in that world too. Like I, I, I don't want to just like hold the truth to the end of the season and then cross my fingers that we get a season two and then, you know, maybe we get there, maybe we don't. To me, this is always designed as a, a 10 to 12 episode series uh, to encompass the entire thing. And so I said, you know what, let's get to the truth halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't going to expect that. I think they're going to be really satisfied by that. I think we live in a world of television viewing now where people uh, enjoy shorter runs of shows and, and can sort of binge watch something or, or only commit to 10 episodes and that's okay. And let's give them something different. Like when's the last time you saw something where five episodes in you were walloped with the big truth of the show and then it kept going from there and only got more interesting. Right. No, that's good to hear. I love to hear that. So we'll see if it works. Yeah, <laughs> I think it does. Well, I mean, again, I was hoping that, that something like that would happen and you wouldn't just leave it till the end and then it kind of just trails off and you don't know what right. happens after that. Because, yeah. again, that big wallop, well, what is the effect of that? And right. so uh, that's great. Speaking of which, what can audiences expect that you can discuss without giving too much away? Because obviously, you know, being uh, this mystery thriller, you don't want to give too much away. But what can audiences expect in coming episodes? They can expect a lot of, you know, we talk a lot about the big truth, the big reveal. What is Wayward Pines? You find out halfway through. But you know what? There's also a lot of reveals all the way through. Uh, in, in, in tonight's episode, which is tonight being Thursday the 21st, there's a many, many reveals leading up to a, a crazy reveal at the end of the episode, which isn't the full truth of Wayward Pines, but it's part of the full truth of Wayward Pines. And so all along the way, you're getting, you're getting big reveals, questions answered, new questions being raised. But I think the most exciting thing about this show for me 
in this story is that every question that I raise and that you are asking will be answered. There is nothing that is left dangling. There is no plot hole anywhere in the entire show. I love that. So that's, you know, that's exciting to me. That's to be fantastic. able to sort of promise and deliver that. Awesome. Virtual high five, because that's fantastic. <laughs> um, especially with shows like this, where there's so many interweaving elements and aspects and questions that, you know, when it ends, you don't want to have majority of those still hanging over your head going, okay, I kind of understood mm-hmm. it, but why, what, you know, why is it so much Wait, what about that, that thing answer? and right. that thing? Yeah, no, it, it, it all gets answered. And that was also part of the, the luxury of being able to do just to 10 episodes where I was able to write that Bible and plan out the mythology of Wayward Pines and, the, uh, and, and make sure that anything that was set up was answered and anything that possibly wasn't, you know, if there was a big answer, but actually I realized that the question hadn't been posed clearly enough. I was able to basically l- plan out the entire series before we started shooting the first episode. Mm-hmm. And so that was very helpful because usually in television, you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants writing episodes as they're shooting and editing and airing. And, you know, you, you, you almost have zero time to catch up and sort of look at it as a whole. And with a show like this, I, you know, you really have to be able to look at it as a whole and make sure you're, you're delivering and especially with something, you know, with this complicated of a mythology. Right. Absolutely. Wayward Pines has that sort of cable feel, especially because it's sort of a limited series run, like kind of like an American horror story, obviously slightly different genres. But how did you feel about working with a network like Fox on a show? And how confident were you that you'd be able to tell the story that you sort of wanted to, again, on Fox, opposed to, you know, a cable or a streaming outlet, you know, like a Netflix yeah. or an AMC or something? Well, it's a good question, because like I said, I originally, I always conceived of this as a 10 to 12 episode series. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, this was two and a half years ago that I sold this. And when, when, when we sold it, it was like, we were thinking of it as a cable show because networks right. don't do 10 to 12 episode things. That mm-hmm. was, this was before anyone was using the words event series. Um, right. And I, you know, but we still sent it to the, to the broadcast networks and the cable outlet. We sent it everywhere. We had a lot of interest in this show. Um, most of the interest was from cable networks. And that's where we thought we would do it. And I was surprised that Fox was so passionate and interested in doing this. And I said, you know, we said, well, guys, this isn't a, you know, a 22 episode thing. This is really more of a contained thing. And Kevin Riley, who was the president of Fox at the time, said, no, I want to do this as an event series. And I said, what's an event series? He said, (laughs) well, it's a new, you know, we basically want to do this like a cable show. And we want to do 10 to 12 episodes and we want to have, you know, have it run all continuously and, and, you know, promote it like a cable show. And we, we just want to start doing stuff like that. And he had actually just started a division of Fox for event series only. And I was like, great. Okay. Like if you, you know, and in terms of the content of the material, um, I didn't think that, yeah, I thought that we could absolutely tell the story of Wayward Pines on, on network. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's dark and it's thrilling and it's scary and it's complicated and it's funny and it's all those things. Um, the, the, the only thing that I wasn't able to have in the show that was in my original script was some language, you know, mm-hmm. that, which was, I, I think if that's the thing that's making or breaking your show, you, you, you it probably isn't working in the first place. <laughs> right. So, um, so, so that was it. The, the rest of it was, was exactly as I had envisioned it. And, um, and 
Fox was great because they made a commitment to making all 10 episodes right there in the room from when you just from, from the pilot script um, and having M. Night Shyamalan attached to direct, of course. Right, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fantastic because I know that with a lot of event series in the past I've seen, they sort of hedge their bets. Like yours, you would mention the questions that are raised are the questions that are answered, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like so many event series toe that line of it's an event series, but we hope to get a season two, so we're going to leave a lot of loose ends that can carry on. And not to say that, mm -hmm. you know, obviously there can't be room for other stories and other things, but they leave so much unsaid, it almost feels like they're doing it just in the hopes of a second season, like we have stuff to draw from. But mm -hmm. mentioning, you know, the multiple books of the Pine series uh, right. and other material and being able to go from there, I think that's that's very cool. Yeah, um, there. It, this was always envisioned as, as like I said, is as, as ten episodes, and mm -hmm. and there is a beginning, middle, and end. And part of the promise I, I'm making is is that there is an end and that it it, it wraps up. Um, if for some reason this show is so successful that. Uh, that Fox wants to do a season two, you know, Blake Crouch and I have been talking about ideas for, for what that could be, for what his, if he was going to write further books, books four and five, what that would be. Um, but, but, but that certainly wasn't the design to begin with. The design was absolutely to do this as just this one season. So uh, if, if that's all it is, that, that's fantastic too, because it was, um, that's the original intent. That's great. No, I love that. Now to get to some nitty-gritty, some writing questions. Um, mm. But I read that you read the novel, The Pines, in a day and a half and completed the pilot in three weeks. What's your normal writing process for a pilot, and how does writing uh, an adaptation from a book like Wayward Pines differ from writing a, a pilot from scratch? Well, the normal process of writing a pilot is, is you know, you pitch your idea to the studios and networks, and then hopefully someone buys it. And then, you know, for that studio and network and whoever you know, the producers are that you're working with, you write an outline and then you do nine drafts of that outline and then you do uh, you know your first draft and then you do 40 drafts of that draft and all that stuff and 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 you know it's basically the normal pilot development process and that's what I've done mostly uh, in the business you know since I since I got into it uh, 15 years ago um, but for this and, and, and I've done this for other projects but I wanted to spec it um, because like you said I read the book in a day and a half fell in love with it had a vision of exactly what I wanted to do with this, with this pilot. And because, as, as some people, you know, if you've seen it, you know, it's very twisty, turny, convoluted, confusing, mysterious. It's a big what the fuck. And pitching a show is hard enough. Pitching a show that is supposed to be confusing, right. I thought, this is never going to work. I was like, I'm just going to be met with a bunch of confused faces who want to know the truth, or they wanted, well, what does that mean when that happens, or what's re what, what is Wayward Pines really about, and all that. And I thought, you know, a better way to sell this is let me just write the script, and then we'll send it around town, and then whoever is interested in buying this, if they like the script enough, I'll go in and I'll tell them more about what, what the show is. Because if I thought, if I can write a script that grabs people in the way that the book grabbed me, then this will work. Beyond that, I really just wanted to sit down and write it. I wasn't really interested in writing up a pitch, in talking about it, in running around town, you know, going to you know, meetings you know, for, for two weeks. I, I, was like, I just want to sit down and write this because I know exactly what I want to do and I think I can, I can do it fairly quickly. And of course, you know, when you're adapting something, you have material there to go, to go by 
that you know you're not you're not having to come up with every single thing, of course, mm-hmm. um, and and that makes it a little I don't know if it's easier, but it, you know it it just changes the process a bit. But I did I wrote that first draft in in four weeks and uh, had it was you know four of the most fun weeks in my life. I mean writing that I mean that's and that's what's really fun about writing. You know mo- most. Uh, very often, as you know, I'm sure we can all agree, writing can be a slog and really mm. annoying and really <laughs> frustrating and maddening. And I don't want to do this. And but 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 writing that was just pure joy. And um, I sort of felt even if this doesn't sell, like this was really fun to write. So that was it was a very very different. Um, but I I do find now, uh, and I'm doing it more and more, that that specking pilots mm-hmm. uh, is is to me, a better way to, you know, it's not a better way to make money because, of course, you may write a pilot that doesn't sell, sure. but it's a better way to, to write exactly what you intend to create. And also, it's a better way to get a series on the air because when a network reads your script, a studio or a network reads a script versus hearing a pitch, they can see exactly what it is you're doing and creating and whether it's something they want to, to do or not. Because I would rather... I would rather have. I would rather write a script and have a network read it and say, you know what, this isn't for us, mm-hmm. than for that same network to buy my pitch. Then I spend six months writing outlines and drafts for them, only for them to finally realize that this isn't for them. Right. You right. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. That makes sense. Now, for those writers out there who didn't get uh, a series on the air at 23, <laughs> um, <laughs> what sort of advice do you have for them on how to improve their craft and land their first writing job? I guess those two separate mm-hmm. questions, sort of. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 I get this question a lot, and, and it's, you know, there's, there's a, couple, it, it, a couple answers. I mean, if, if you want to be on staff of a show, which is, a, you know, obviously what most people want to do and it's and it's fantastic a way to learn and then to see how to run a show or how not to run a show depending on who you're working for you know getting a job on staff is 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 hard i you know i for for the, for the for the best writers it's usually you know getting in by being a writer's assistant or by being a someone's you know an executive assistant uh or a writer's pa or the script coordinator or whatever um that's a that's a way to get in um and then there's the the way of just of of keeping on writing, which which everybody should be doing if you, if you want to be a a showrunner, if you want to be a, a TV writer, um, and and getting your material out there. I, I I think it's the one thing you don't need to be doing is going to parties and making you know making you can go to parties if you want to. And that's not what I mean. But <laughs> it's. It, I think that I think that networking in in for for writers is an overrated thing, mm-hmm. um, and that if if you write great material and you let people see that material, those connections will find you. Because the truth is, is that the studios and the networks need us and our good ideas and our scripts, you know, as much as we need them. So just write is my basic advice <laughs> is, is, is just write and, and, and get your material out there. Um, but, but, but don't worry so much about, about meeting the right people because uh, you don't need to make the connections. Those people need to connect to your material. Gotcha. Gotcha. As a showrunner, what are you looking for when you're hiring new writers on a show? Uh, what types mm-hmm. of things are turnoffs during staff interviews? What types of things personality wise do you look for? Things like that. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it starts with, with the scripts. Um, again, you know, uh, which also goes to the question you just asked before this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, all about, it's all about the writing for me at first. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll read scripts, and, and for me, I'm always looking for a strong point of view. Some, it doesn't have to be something. Like, like when I was looking at writers for Wayward Pines, it wasn't like I was looking for people who – you know, could write things like Wayward Pines. I'm just looking for people who are strong writers with a strong point of view and uh, good dialogue and good, you know, depth of character and, you know, no typos and lots of you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then after that, it's like, you know, when you're, when you're meeting with people, it's just like, just be, you know, have, have, have a strong point of view, have ideas, um, and, and be a cool person. Because once, once, you know, for me, it's like as the showrunner and, and, you know, the head of the writer's room, what I'm looking for is, is people to make my life easier and people that I want to be around. So if, I, if I've already decided I like your writing, now I'm basically trying to see if I can hang out with you. And right. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, right. We're at the point of the show where we like to find out what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Mm. Okay, you mean like books and TV shows and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, right now I'm reading. Right now I'm reading The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, which is fantastic. I'm about thirty mm-hmm. percent through that. It's a massive book. You can use it as a doorstop. <laughs> um, uh, I'm reading The Goldfinch. I'm watching this new show called Witnesses, which is a French mystery, which is very cool uh, on oh. Netflix. And I think it's only six episodes. I'm a couple episodes in, and it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what else am I doing? I'm uh, listening to the new Giorgio Moroder album, or some of the tracks from it. It's a, it's coming out, I think, in a few weeks. He's he's he was like the king of disco back in the '70s. And oh, I wrote cool. a I wrote a pilot about Studio 54 a long time ago for Showtime, and so I have uh, uh, an affinity for that world and that music. Um, Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Excellent. And we've got some rapid-fire questions to throw your way. Sure. Who do you think would win? like a game? Yeah, it's kind of like a game. Okay. Um, Who do you think would win in a pie-eating contest? Actor Chad Michael Murray, Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer, and Will Ferrell lookalike Chad Smith, or yourself? Myself. Okay. For sure. I have a huge sweet tooth. Um, I I, I can go crazy in a pie-eating contest. Cool. Um, (laughs) Which fellow Northwestern alum would make for the most interesting Wayward Pines character? Jerry Springer as Dr. Jenkins, former (laughs) Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich as Sheriff Pope, or Zach Braff as Nurse Pam? (laughs) This is a tough one because (laughs) obviously I love the actors who are all playing the roles for real, but um, I would have to say... Blagojevich is sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's just, yeah, exactly. I can imagine him delivering that rum raisin line. That would be hysterical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which cast member or former cast member would you prefer to be lost in the woods with and why? Donnie Wahlberg from your series Runaway, Amber Heard from your series The Playboy Club, or Matt Dillon, obviously, from Wayward Pines? Mm. That's a good one. I would, I, I could find reasons to be lost in the woods with all three of those people. Um, I'm gonna have to go Matt Dillon from Wayward Pines because, uh, well, you'll see coming up in in episode five, he actually does get lost in the woods and does a pretty good job getting out of the woods and figuring out exactly what's happening in Wayward Pines. So he's like, he's 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 a trusty guy to have with you. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> um, and your favorite Chicago food: deep dish pizza from Lou Malnati's. Italian beef from Portillo's, or Garrett's popcorn. Ooh, the Chicago blinks. Good one, good one. Um, I'm gonna have to say, well, it is deep dish pizza, but it's from P 
Piero's Pizza in Highland Park, Illinois, which is the town that I grew up in. Cool. Uh, it's unbelievable. Their stuffed pizza is, is the best thing I've ever had in my life. Awesome. Definite, definite death row meal. <laughs> it's good to have the death row meal. You always yeah. have to have that in the ready. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have any fun or interesting stories during the writing and or making of Wayward Pines that you want to share? No, no, no stories. Nothing, nothing fun. No, no nothing. Um, of course, okay. I have so many, um, you know, but uh, it's interesting. Because, uh, Hope Davis plays a, a significant role in the show. She doesn't start until episode four. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays a teacher in the school in town. And one of the most interesting things that happened on the show is that she was just fantastic. And not that I didn't think that she would be, but she was so good and so weird and so funny in this part that um, I rewrote the rest of the the show with with the other writers to, to put her into every episode. She was only supposed to be in two episodes. And... I mean, that's a, a good example of, you know, as much as I said, oh, there's a Bible and the whole thing is planned out and everything is set in stone, things also change. And, you know, I think you have to be open to that. And for me, you, you know, the true magic happens when, when an actor embodies the role that you've written. And then you can be open to changing it to suit the strengths of that person or, or if they're just amazing to, to, to write them into more episodes and, and to change your story. And, you know, because once you're doing, you know, the difference between a movie and a series is like a series goes on and on. Now this one's only 10 episodes, but still that's 10 hours. And, mm-hmm. and to be open to, uh, to listening and watching what's happening on your show and to be able to be malleable and, and to say, you know what, let's, let's, let's put Hope Davis into all the episodes. That's gonna, well, I'm going to have to cut something else to make room for that, but it's worth it because she is so fantastic. And, um, and I just love that relationship between, between writer and actor and, and, and finding that magic. So that's, a, that's, that's one of my favorite things that happened during the show. Very cool. And how were you able to get so many amazing actors in Wayward Pines? I mean, like every other actor is an Academy Award nominee or Academy Award winner. Magic. I don't know. I mean, it obviously <laughs> has a lot to do with uh, M. Night Shyamalan directing the first episode. Mm-hmm. We had an amazing casting director, David Rubin, whose taste is insanely wonderful and, and specific. And he was so helpful in pulling that cast together. And, you know, also, I think because it was 10 episodes, they only had to commit to that. And that was uh, attractive for, for especially for bigger film actors to be, you know, usually you have to sign on for seven years of a show. Right. And in this case, it was just one. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. That's and awesome. I think, you know, also you see Matt Dillon was the first one to, to, to get cast. And when you see that, you're like, oh, okay, so Matt Dillon's in this. And then uh, I think the next person was, was Melissa Leo. Oh, and most mm. of Leo's in this, and that then it sort of quickly becomes obvious to to other actors and to agents and and things like that, like what what the caliber of the project is and and what we're trying to do, sure. and and then it sort of went quickly from there. It oh, was great. It yeah. was again very lucky. No, that's fantastic. Lastly, do you have any uh, other advice? You've already given us some great advice, but do you have any other? advice for aspiring screeners out there or anything else you want to share? You know, you know what? No, I, 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 I don't, I don't have any other advice. I think that people should, you know, should just, should just write mm-hmm. and, and get their stuff out there. And, um, but you know, the, it's a series of, of, I think it's about recognizing opportunities when they're in the, in front of you. It's, it's like, if, 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 if NBC wants to meet with you and you can't find a waiter to cover your shift at the restaurant, just go to the meeting at NBC and take a risk. And that's, you know, that's it. Right. 
No, that's great. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show, Chad, and chatting with Thank us. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was really, really fun. Um, be sure to follow Chad on Twitter, and it's at Chad underscore Hodge, and you can follow him on Facebook, Chad Hodge Storyland. I guess just do a search for Chad Hodge Storyland. Uh, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>